mind if I, I just come aboard, please, just for a spell. Hey everybody, it's Billy, your friendly neighborhood pirate professor. Um, welcome back. I, you know, the only thing I have is that as an intro is just because it's some goofy little pirate video I did on my YouTube channel last year, and I was like, it's the video itself is kind of dumb. It was, you know, you you kind of push yourself out there a little bit, and you try to, um. You try to push your sort of your limits, you know, creative limits, and see what you can come up with. And sometimes it just you just fall flat on your ass, and that's kind of what that is. But I kind of like the music, and I mix some old like pirate films in there, and I kind of you know that part I kind of liked, but the rest of it, eh. You can go to my YouTube page if you want to see it and judge me. Um, so, welcome to the second episode, season one of the Pirate Professor podcast. So, tonight I, I'm just going to sort of pick up with this thing. I was, uh, I've had several people asking me kind of like, what am I going to do with this thing? And part of it is, and I think I talked about this the other day, is, you know, with COVID and everything going on. Um, there's really this sort of push to be ready to go online. And so I decided to move this podcast, uh, create this as part of kind of what I'm offering for my students, sort of something they can listen to when they're driving down the road. But at the same time, there's quite a few of you out there that I've, you know, had conversations with over the years and, um, I've never really hidden sort of, uh, my opinions on journalism and, you know, what people think of journalism. I've, I've, you know, there's, this is what I do. And so I've got insight, um, with the COVID thing right now, I, I feel kind of sorry for the doctors and nurses who are catching so much shit right now. Uh, but not too much because it sort of makes me feel good. Not good. Like it's not good. Like actually good, but good as in, Oh, it's not just me getting the crap kicked out of me. Right. Does that make sense? Like all the same people that were calling me a liar uh, when I was doing stuff on immigration are the same people that are calling the doctors a liar, liars now. So, you know, I don't know. Take that for whatever it's worth. Um, but I'm not really here to talk about that tonight. Um, my eyes are getting better. Um, I can actually see out of it now. It's a little better. It's still puffy. So I'm, and I'm still popping ibuprofen. Um, that seems to help in phases I guess that's kind of what happens with medicine it works for a while and then it stops so I assume things are going to get better that being said I've had a headache for about two weeks ever since I came back um, from the boat back to the cabin and my my sinuses have been all screwed up so something about going from salt water living on top on a boat on salt water to 
Arkansas in late summer when there's a lot of dust and everything and allergens and so here I am I'll make it so how are you guys doing today how are you doing um we're going to talk more about communication. What I thought I would cover a little bit today is sort of is the history of communication. Um, one of the things that's really interesting to me is how good we are at it. And at the same time, we act like we're not. Like we've been studying science as we know it, like the scientific method, Uh five six hundred years like really like dark post dark ages like there was a lot going on prior to that um but history works as history works and a lot of knowledge got lost and then so we kind of started over uh, and then with the enlightenment you know we're doing everything from trying to figure out you know the laws of gravity to you know now we're dealing with you know the human genome and trying to figure out what dark matter is and quantum physics and we've made a lot of progress. Um, and that's, you know, in 500 years or so. Um, but when it comes to communication, though, like the Dark Ages didn't really affect the art and science of communication. Um, we have been studying that for well over 2,000 years. Um, I'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, but what it means is we're really good at it and kind of like, um, really good communication is, um, part of that is the ability to persuade people of things without them ever realizing you're doing it. Um, again, we're going to talk more about this as time goes on. Um, but. This isn't just about me rambling. Um, I'm kind of in the music mood lately, and um, you can't see them right now, but I've got these Sony headphones on there. Uh, let me look at it. They are Sony professional headphones, and they are the MDR7506 model. Um, so these are, you know, the kind of headphones that what sound engineers would wear. These aren't the stuff you would, these aren't something you would buy at Walmart that's got extra bass in it. Um, these are just kind of the opposite of that. There's big, squishy, comfortable headphones you wear on your hand, but they're, the, the sound is balanced. And so you can... It, everything just sounds really good. Like something that's mixed really well just sounds really good in these things. And one of the things i found myself doing lately is kind of reverting back to my youth... And I'll just put on these headphones and I'll start listening to music. And you get lost in it. You just get lost in it. And you sort of just close your eyes and go somewhere else for a while. Um, you're not staring at your phone. You're not doing anything. You're not worrying about anything. You're just lost in the song. Um, and music is pretty special. Like... That wasn't a really good way. Yeah. Music's on its own level. Like, um, I don't know where you people stand on faith and what your thing is. But, like, if, for, for my money, if you're looking for an existence of God, um, look at music. 
because there's absolutely no other reason it should exist. Like for me, music is the gift from God. Like it's like here, have something great. Because really, there's, I mean, you can, it's interdimensional. Like a good song will take you somewhere else. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to mix a little, a few songs in with this stuff. Um, speaking of, I used to go to this music festival up in Illinois. It was called the Cornerstone Music Festival. Uh, sadly, they don't have it anymore. Um, bunch of hippie types show up out in the middle of a cornfield in Bushnell, Illinois every year. And these are just, the people that put it on are such good people. They're out of Chicago. Uh, they're called Jesus People USA. Um, such sweet people. And I, some of the people that I've met that were from that group, I'm still friends with today. Um, and so we used to go camp out at that thing every year. And um, there was this one band. Um, it's called Me Without You that would show up there. And this, you know, this is a festival that drew big name bands. Um, everybody's in their tent. They were, you know, they had their main stage that would do stuff, but they always the, the fun concerts were always in the tents. And me without you, this quirky. I don't even know how you describe them. They're a rock band, but they're 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 kind of on their own certain plane of existence. And they're just weird enough, for, especially for me. I like things that are just a little weird. You know, I grew up on Monty Python, um, that kind of stuff. And so I like things that are just a little quirky and sometimes a lot quirky. And they fit that description, not just in their music, but in like real life. Like these other bands would show up in their, you know, their high dollar, you know, tour buses that either they owned or they're renting. I mean, these are really nice things. And then Me Without You would show up in this complete piece of shit tour bus that they ran on vegetable oil that they probably made, you know, that they were stealing out of, you know, collecting from dumpsters from restaurants across the country as they toured. Like they were sort of the real, they were the kind of the real deal. Like it wasn't, and, I, and they're still around. They're still doing, look them up. And so the lead singer is a guy named Aaron Weiss. And I was out there and he was he was going to a show or a talk he was going to a tent or something but I saw him walking across the festival grounds and he had he was trying to carry so much stuff he was carrying a suitcase and a bunch of just like props and an accordion and a bunch of just a bunch of weird stuff and he and he was just on the verge of dropping it and so I just ran over there and asked him um if I could help him and he was like yeah and uh that conversation and the reason I'm getting around this is because of communications. He gave me one of the best opening communication lines, opening conversation lines I've ever heard. So we're walking across the festival grounds and he just looked at me and he's like, so Billy, when you're all by yourself, what kind of things do you think about? And it was one of those questions I was like, oh my God, I don't even know. Like, because opening conversations with strangers are typically about something as, you know, meaningless as the weather or, you know, where are you from? That's kind of stuff. But it, it caught me off guard, but I liked it. And so, I, in me, I can, 
depending on where my headspace is at the time. I just, I think I just started rambling on and on and on and on. Just talk. I just started talking. This is what I think about because my head, you know, I was, my brain never stops. I don't know if any of you are like that. My brain just does not stop. And anyway, so I talked pretty much the entire uh, walk over to where we were going. But as we got there, um, we sat down and I sat down beside him and I was like, so Aaron, like, what do you think about when you're all by yourself? Just turn the question around on it. I thought it was pretty smart. And he said, you know, other, you know, things, positive, negative, you know, angels and demons kind of things. But he's like, you know, mostly I just think about me. I don't know what the hell to do with that after that. Um, but I just thought it was fantastic. Um, so from that, um, here's me without you. Uh, with the song, a, uh, what is the song? I think it's off uh, Brother Sister is the album. I think that's it. Uh, you can find it, but it's the song called In a, In a Sweater Poorly Knit. smile. Little Moses drifts downstream in the Nile. A fumbling reply, an awkward, rigid laugh, and I'm carried helpless by my floating basket raft. Your flavor in my mind is back and forth between sweeter than any wine, as bitter as mustard greens, and it's light and dark as honeydew and pumpernickel bread. The trap I set for you seems to have caught my leg instead.
pennies on the train track The train crushing the one But if I'm a crown without a king If I'm a broken open seat If I come without a thing Then I come with all I need No boat out in the blue No place to rest your head The trap I set for you Seems to have caught my leg instead actually a whole lot of talent in that band um seriously check them out um listening that reminded me back when i was you know going to the festival every year they would always do a midnight show um that was it a midnight it was just always a late night show in one of the uh, tents and it was just packed thousands of people just crammed in underneath the tent uh, with them playing and it would just go on and on and on and I just sort of remember that song really kind of brought me back to like the the vibe that was in there and the smells and the dust you know and all of that and then I kind of think about like today and like I can't even imagine being in that scenario like you know you're cramped in under a thousands of people that you don't know from all over the country dancing to this music and we didn't have a plug then at least not one that we were aware of so our plug was the music and you know what good for us we enjoyed it so uh, me without you all one word me without you that last song was a sweater poorly knit um let me jump into what we're going to talk about today 
really wanted to get into uh, history of communication. I started out when we were talking about we've been we've been studying communication for a really long effing time. So long, in fact. Let me try to put it in perspective. Uh, and one of the things I want to try to do with this today is sort of kind of put our context in our sort of our modern world of like kind of why things are so screwed up. Um, and, and, and I guess my thesis on that would be is because we're just not like our brains can't handle it. Or we're like we're just not emotionally mature enough to deal with the amount of information that we're getting right now. Um, or we're not allowed to process. It, let me just get into it, and I'll, then I'll get onto that stuff later. So, like, you go back to the Greeks. You go back to you know Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, these guys. We're going to go back to about you know three twenty two BC. At that point, we really, we perfected what we would consider oral communication. Like what I, what, what I am doing right now, they would be doing so much better than me. I have all these little verbal pauses where I'm like, and, um, you know, like, take deep breaths. It, these, these people were philosophers, but they're also orators. And so they knew how to command language and they knew a lot of things they, they perfected affected what we would consider oral communication um you know print was around at this point but it wasn't the dominant thing um oral most histories were passed around orally and this is where there was a period of time where people could even you know we talk about the iliad and odyssey where these poems that are super long but they could be committed to memory Right, and you know, right now I have a hard time remembering the grocery list, much less, you know, a poem that's you know, several thousand lines long. You know, but that's just where we were. And so if try to plot this on a map, go go back where, however far you think three twenty two BC is, you know, let's go back twenty three hundred years, roughly. Twenty three, twenty four hundred just go back. Make it 25 if you need, you know, easier math. I'm not really paying attention to the numbers specifically. So there's some engineers out there. You're probably already upset with me. And so, but we did have written communication. And written communication, eh, we, 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 depends on who you ask and where they find things like we have petroglyphs where you know written communication is anything you know and then we have like cave drawings um 10,000 years ago 40,000 years ago is a long time ago and it's you know it didn't progress for a really long time most because mostly those early um written forms of language that at least the ones that we have you know access to um Mostly pictures in nature, you know. There were uh, there were the early emojis. Um, we can get into that, you know. Kind of, we've sort of reverted back to, um, you know, pictures. We speak in pictures, you know, winky face, smiley face, whatever, laughy face. So about ten thousand years ago, we got petro petroglyphs. Um, 
petroglyphs, um, cave drawings. And then, so we go 10,000 years ago, we have that. That's pretty You know, by the time the Greeks are around, we've got actual written words. Uh, we have a, we have written language. Uh, then we get to the, you know, but we've perfected the oral language because that's really our shtick. That's our thing, or at least that was their shtick. And so, but we'll say like 10,000 years, and then you've got roughly, you know, 8,000 year gap, and then, you know, from the next major jump from you know writing to oral and then it took about we had we started technology started coming in i mean technically i guess writing language would be i could consider technology human technology human innovation um but we started introducing machines and a guy named a german guy named gutenberg came up with this thing called a printing press in the 1430s and so this is, you know, roughly 15, you know, 15, I'm rounding numbers, 1500 years after the Greeks perfected oral communication. All right. So at this point, if you wanted a book copied, you pretty much were relying on a bunch of monks sitting in a monastery somewhere who are scribing out things. And so Gutenberg comes up with this um, thing called the printing press, which suddenly created the first opportunity for sort of a mass communication uh, model. And then suddenly all of these um, carpal tunnel syndrome inflicted monks all kind of sighed a collective sigh of relief. And then they were out of a job because this was also the first time an innovation had come around that basically caused an, a former vocation to become obsolete. Technology of the printing press replaced um, the need for someone, a, a written scribe. And you can say we lost some stuff because some of those old um, books that were handwritten with all the artwork in them, you know, they're works of art. Um, but life goes on, oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. So we've got 10,000 years, and the next major shift is about 8,000 years later, and then, you know, roughly 1,500 years after that, we've got a technological innovation. And then what comes next? Next thing that comes around is something called wired communication. So you get the telegraph wire roughly 400 years after the printing press. We, we get wired. Things get wired. About 400 years later, we would learn how to send information across wire. At that point, you know, Samuel Morse, we had the Morse code. And, you know, we're learning how to send stuff. And then about... 40 years later, we Alexander Graham Bell comes up with the telephone. So we use an existing platform or existing infrastructure of these wires, but we learn how to do more than just send like beeps across it in you know the, the of the telegraph. We actually learn how to send voice noise actual about 40 years later. But in the great scheme of things, we went again 10,000 years ago. 8,000 year jump, next innovation, 2,000 year jump, next innovation, and then a 400 year jump is the next innovation. So one of the first things you start to notice, even, you know, we were talking centuries in between, is the span of time that changes between one innovation to another innovation is not just becoming faster, 
it's becoming progressively faster. It's becoming infinitely faster. It's like compound interest. It keeps doubling and tripling. And it happens faster and faster and faster. It's compounding. So we get wired communication about 400 years ago. Again, we're like 18, they, 1830s to 1870s is wired communication, the innovation of that. And then what comes next? Anybody? Anybody? You in the back? Yeah, broadcast. We get radio. We got broadcast communication. 50 years after radio was invented in 1897, um, we get broadcast communication. And broadcast communication was originally designed to help ships communicate at sea with each other. Now, as we all know here, I am the pirate professor and I am a licensed captain. And so one of the things that I know that you probably don't know is it's really hard to drag a line a telephone line um, behind your boat if you're crossing the Atlantic. It was a joke. It probably didn't land very well anyway. But so the thing was, um, one of the first things that they, they came up with was this idea is if we could send communication wirelessly. And they did. And so in 1897, we had broadcast communication. They figured out how radio waves work, at least in the basic form. Um, they started out with this thing called, um, they took two copper coils in the same room. Like radio is this idea, it's kind of, it's radio radius is the same thing that comes out from the center. Think of like ripples from a pond. You know, there's these, it starts in the center and it ripples outward. There's these waves that come from a central location. And, and for a long time, scientists have theorized that this thing was existing, but they didn't know how to prove it. And so, um, they took these two copper coils and they started sending an electrical pulse through one of them. Now the other one was sitting on the other side of the room and they put their little fancy meters and gauges up on it. And what they discovered was as they were able to send these pulses through one coil, they were able to read them on the other coil. And they didn't necessarily know exactly why it worked, but they proved their theory that it actually did work. And actually the, the signal was transmitted wirelessly across the room from one thing to the other. Well, they figured out, you know, how to make it better. And so that allowed them to be able to send, um, wired communicate or wireless communication in the form of a telegraph to ships at sea which for over really long distance of time, which is super handy if you're in a ship, because if you happen to be the owner of a ship and you're leaving New York Harbor, how do you know if your ship, when your ship makes it to, let's say London? And one hand, you might not know until they got back. Like, they could go there, do their thing, drop off, you know, whatever, get paid, come back. And you might not know for months. Um, you know, back in the old days, the way ships communicated is they would see other ships. And they were like, hey, can you take our mail? And they would, you know, change exchange messages out on the water. Um, and then, you know, try to get messages back. So a lot of times what they would do is they would write multiple copies of the same letter. And as if they saw different ships, they would hail those ships, hoping there weren't pirates and send those messages through them. Um, and you know, telegraph made that a whole lot easier. Now, fun little fact, 
when they actually figured out how to take it like with the um, telegraph you know they, they eventually figured out how to put a voice on it what they eventually figured out with radio was how to add a voice too and what the things that the, the guy did he was a uh, engineering professor I think the University of Pittsburgh could be wrong on that one I'm just going off memory um, but on Christmas morning he decided to test it out and he just sort of said Merry Christmas you know as a transmission that got picked up by all these ships at sea and something else you should know about sailors is they're pretty stinking superstitious and so it was Christmas morning and he just wished everyone a Merry Christmas and it scared the bejesus out of a bunch of sailors because suddenly their boats started talking to them and their boats don't necessarily talk to them and so created a bit of a stir anyway I went on a side note a little tangent there so we get broadcast communication. So again, going back to the beginning, written communication between 40,000 and 10,000 40, years ago moves over to oral communications perfected about 2,000 years ago. And then about 500 years ago, we get the first you know, real uh, innovation in technology at the printing press. And then... And it keeps going. And now now the next jump between like wired communication, you know, like for, it was a 400-year jump and then to wired communication, and then there was a 50-year jump to broadcast communication. And it didn't take long. You know, 1897 is when we first came up with, up with it. But the 1920s, it was commonplace. Radio was commonplace in the average home um, because they figured out in the early days they wanted it to be go for more from just a communication tool but also an entertainment tool. And so we got broadcast communication, which then goes to broadcast communication 2.0, which we, we again we expanded bandwidth, and we got uh, the 19, by the 1950s we had television, and television made it into the public living room. And this is started like when we're starting to get into our world, like people that we know, like our our parents or our grandparents, depending on how old you are. Um, this is the world that they grew, you know they they grew up with three television stations and which honestly that's about what I grew up with um, but they're only on at certain points of the day and people would all kind of gather around to watch I Love Lucy or whatever it happens to be and so it really starts to have a impact socially at this point on kind of a different level and then what was the next innovation that comes after television anybody we get the internet like in the 1990s, everybody remembers dial-up. Uh, if you're the older, if you're a millennial or older, you probably remember dial-up. If you're a Zoomer, probably not so much. Um, you guys always had high-speed internet, whether good high-speed or not, but you always had YouTube. Uh, you never used a phone modem. Anyway, so in the 1990s, we get the internet coming around. And again, at this point, it, it comes in in the mid-90s, um, I started college as a journalism major. I was a broadcast journalism major, and I started in 1992. I did not have a functional email address until after I graduated. Um, so probably not till like 1997 did I have. And so then that's kind of the rise of high-speed internet at that point. Um, Dial-up was still a thing, but we started. It started. You started having more options at that point. So, 
life goes on early 2000s um the internet's getting faster and faster we you know at least in the united states and a lot of places of the world they start spending a lot of money on infrastructure to put in the internet because just kind of like um the telephone used the infrastructure of the telegraph to send stuff across the wire the internet originally used the infrastructure of the telephone to send information on and that infrastructure just isn't wasn't designed to carry the amount of of data that or data that um, was required and so this is when we started putting a lot of effort into things like uh, fiber optic cables wireless wireless information or wireless connect networks came to be they start moving into cell for service so we got the late 90s so we're like 30 years ago at this point and 20 30 years ago at that point and then in 2005 this is really kind of sort of the culmination of everything we get the the really the dawn of the advent communication in 2005 is when apple came out with the iphone and this is the first time we've been able to combine every major platform because the thing to remember is when we started talking on the phone we didn't stop or we started broadcasting we didn't stop writing like as each one of these different mediums have come around uh, broadcast writing web all of these things it's not that we stopped doing any of these other ones we just added on we were piling on and so this convergence of all this technology comes around in around 2005 and you know the iphone's a game changer suddenly we we went from everybody having blackberries which is primarily just to send email and talk on the phone to an iphone which sort of becomes an extension of ourselves um one of the things one of the reasons that smartphones are so addictive for it for us is that we actually become smarter as a result of them um, we we kind of have this symbiotic relationship with our phone because we you know we can have access to all this information now. Take we can take photos. We can do we can do all of this stuff that we couldn't do without it. We can connect to people in ways that we couldn't do without it. And there's addictive nature to it, and we can get into that later. But um, again, we went from ten thousand these shifts in technology. We went from you know, 10,000 years ago to 2,000 years ago to 500 years ago to 50 or 500 years ago to like 150 years ago to 50 years ago to 20 years ago to 10 years ago. And it just keeps speeding up and up and up and up and up and up. And our brains haven't, we we're good at adapting, but I don't necessarily know that we're good at filtering information just yet. Um, the amount of bullshit that gets processed on YouTube on a given day and or on Facebook and, and uh, pushed out as fact uh, without good vetting. Mm, it's concerning. I'll just say that it's concerning. Again, I got lots of other episodes to talk about that, but this is where we are. We have a lot going on and to be honest it's not going to slow down like the thing about every one of these sort of innovations we sort of think like ha ha we've made it i got dial-up internet we have arrived um 
I don't know if you guys remember when I got my first computer. I was uh, I started not only did I not have a functional email address until I graduated college, but when I went to college as a freshman, my parents sent me off with a typewriter. It was a fancy typewriter. It was a word processor that had a screen and a floppy disk drive. I still have it. Um, but at that moment, you're thinking, "Yeah, I'm it." This is it. Like we, this is the top of the, the the mound of technological advancement. Until next week, um, and there's a lot of stuff in the you know churning right now. Pay attention, pay attention, to like Elon Musk and his Neuralink. You know, I'm gonna Google Glass trying to mess around with it, but I have a feeling it won't be long till you know words are sort of. I don't know. Be able to just, you know, look at somebody across the room and have a conversation without ever opening your mouth. We're not too far away from that. So all that being said, I think it was a lot. I've said a lot today. How much time are we at? I get 41 minutes. All right. Um, here's the thing I want you to take away from it. Um... A lot has changed. A lot is going to change. Um, best kind of communication, the most effective communication is the one that slips right under your nose and you never know what happens. All right. I think that's enough. Um, if you guys have any questions about any of this stuff, just drop me a line. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you can go to my website, billyreader.com, shoot me a message. Um, if you're one of my students, just go, Hey professor, or if you're not, you know, whatever, I'll get back with you and we'll talk about it. So going back to music in college, uh, there was this guy named Ted Hawkins that a friend of mine introduced me to way back then. And I remember this song, um, stripped down acoustic. Just a man and a guitar, and I just remember this is one of those songs that you just close your eyes and listen to. So I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go out on that one. It's nighttime here at the cabin where I am right now. Um, there's no nothing making noise, so uh, this is Ted Hawkins, and uh, as long as I can see the light, which is actually I think is a an old CCR song or John Fogerty. Um, but man, this song. Catch you guys later. Bye. Put a candle in the window. Cause I fear I've got to move. Though I'm gone, going, I'll be coming home soon. Long as I can see the light, pack my bags and let's get moving. Cause I'm bound to drift a while. Though I'm gone, I'm gone. 
you don't have to worry about me. No, long as I can see the light. Guess I've got that old traveling boy. But I feel I'm leaving alone. But I won't, won't be losing my way. No, long as I can see the light. Won't you play that thing for me right now? Put a candle in the window Ooh. Cause I fear I've gotta move Cause I'm going, going I'll be coming home soon Long as I can see the light Long as I can see the light. Long as I can see the light.